afternoon again. And for those of you who are just joining us now, my name is Gail Ellis, and I'm the Dean of Admissions here at Suffolk Law School. And I'd like to welcome you to Suffolk and also to congratulate you on your acceptance to Suffolk, Suffolk Law School. And um, uh, your, your acceptance was based on your outstanding performance uh, academically and all of your very hard work um, prior to coming to uh, the law school. Um, today, I'm really very proud to introduce uh, members of our trial teams. Um, you've already heard from some of our students as far as clinical programs and internship programs um, and uh, uh, our pro bono programs, but I think uh, that most people here in the law school would agree that trial practice, uh, learning how to think like a lawyer, learning how to be a lawyer, um, takes place in the courtroom. And we have many opportunities for our students to uh, develop the skills and the knowledge that will help them to be effective advocates, uh, courtroom attorneys, negotiators, um, anywhere in the private or public sector. Um, our trial teams, and I, I will brag a little bit before I uh, introduce the members of our program today, um, uh, the Suffolk University Law School National Trial Team won its eighth straight New England tournament, the regional championship um, in the American College of Trial Lawyers National Trial Competition that was hosted actually here at the law school, which means that regional uh, tournament is, encompasses all the New England area uh, and all the New England law schools, and Suffolk, once again, in the eighth, uh, for the eighth straight year, has won the regional championship, and which uh, allows them to go on to the national championship, which I believe is being, uh, sorry? San Antonio uh, next month? Yes. Um, in addition to that, the Suffolk Law, uh, Suffolk law National Moot Court team, I'm sorry, Suffolk Law National Tax Moot Court team captured the best brief award at the annual National Tax Moot Court competition. And um, the Suffolk Law Mediation team won the American Bar Association Region 1 Mediation Competition that was held in February at Quinnipiac Law School. So uh, that's just uh, some of the... Uh, the competitions that our students participate in throughout the year. And uh, as you can see, our students do very well. They're very skilled attorneys. Um, they get wonderful coaching from our faculty and from alumni that are here that come back to the law school to help our students uh, prepare for uh, the, the uh, competitions. So today, uh, you are going to be, um, I won't say entertained, but you will definitely have a wonderful uh, snapshot of what our students are capable of doing um, what they have learned and put into practice um, as a student here at Suffolk Law School. Um, I'll <coughs> excuse me, introduce uh, members of this, um, the, the trials uh, today. Um, I don't know if Chris is out here. Our judge, Chris Manos, is actually robing and will be out shortly. Uh, the bailiff is Ben Farrell. <laughs> okay. Um, the attorney who is going, who is for the state, uh, who's going to do the opening um, statement is Gretchen Sherwood. And um, the uh, prosecutor for the state uh, who's going to do the closing argument is Pat Driscoll. And uh, for the defense, uh, the, the attorney who's going to do the opening statement is Tegan uh, Thibodeau. And our defense attorney who's doing, going to do the closing argument is Thomas Bovai. Uh, we have several witnesses, uh, Lisa DeMarie and uh, Allison Brown. 
And we're very fortunate to have Paul Caruso, who graduated from the law school uh, some years ago, who uh, always comes back to volunteer with our uh, mock trial teams. And uh, he's done a wonderful job as a coach, a mentor, and a friend to our students. And Professor Tim Wilton here. Uh, Tim Wilton is, uh, is an outstanding professor, and he's also very uh, instrumental in helping our students to succeed at competitions, is very committed to our student success, and has done a great job uh, this year, uh, has done an outstanding job of getting our students uh, to the competitions and, and their success at the competitions. So without further ado, our bailiff will address the court. Good afternoon. What you're about to see is the state of Lone Star versus Micah Victor. Uh, Micah Victor is being charged with two counts. One count of conspiracy condu to conduct a dog fighting uh, ring and two conspiracy to purchase dogs for the purpose of conducting a dog fighting ring. Um, you'll hear from two witnesses. Uh, Chris Jensen, who is the DA investigator who investigated Micah Victor. And you'll also hear from, uh, who's the other witness? Denny Shepard who is the veterinarian uh, that Micah Victor used to care for the dogs. Um, I'm going to go get the judge in a minute and enjoy. Thank you very much. Today we will hear the matter of State versus Micah Victor. Who do we have appearing? Your Honor, the State of Lone Star, Patrick Driscoll, last name spelled D-R-I-S-C-O-L-L. And also for the State of Lone Star, Gretchen Sherwood, S-H-E-R-W-O-O-D. Your Honor, for Micah Victor, my name is Tegan Thibodeau, last name spelled K-A-I-V-O-D-G-A. And Thomas Bovet for Micah Victor, uh, last name spelled B-E. And is the defendant present? Yes, yes. Present. Okay, we will proceed then with opening statements. Sixty-six dogs in cages. Some of them had cuts, some of them had scars, some of them had missing ears. And all of these dogs were found at the defendant's property, Micah Victor's property here at 444 Furdown Lane. My name is Gretchen Sherwood, and my co-counsel, Patrick Driscoll, and I represent the state of Lone Star. And we are going to prove to you today that the defendant, Micah Victor, is guilty of two crimes, conspiracy to engage in dog fighting and conspiracy to purchase dogs for the purpose of fighting them. 
Now, the judge is going to instruct you about the elements of a conspiracy, but let me first give you a brief explanation. A conspiracy is when two people agree to commit a criminal act and one person acts in furtherance of that crime. Now, we are going to prove to you today that the defendant, Micah Victor, acted with his cousin, a man named Rodney Acker, to fight dogs in dog fights and to purchase dogs for the specific purpose of fighting them. Now, you'll hear today that many professional bowlers are involved in dog fighting and that the defendant, a professional bowler himself, was involved in dog fighting through his own kennel, the Bad News Kennel. You will hear that Mr. Acker, the defendant's cousin, is the one who always ran these fights here at 444 Furdown Lane on behalf of his cousin, Micah Victor. Now, the state first became interested in the defendant when they received calls from neighbors about sounds of dogs howling and yelping at this property at Furdown Lane. Now, Chris Jensen, an investigator from the district attorney's office, who you will hear from today, fielded this call. And she's going to tell you that she conducted some research on dogfighting in response to the concerns from these neighbors. That she conducted some research and that she purchased some clothing of other dogfighting rings, t-shirt and a hat, so that she could go undercover to this property at 444 Furdown Lane to conduct her investigation. Now, Chris Jensen will tell you that after she conducted this research, she infiltrated the defendant's compound and that while she was there, she found those 66 dogs in cages in this outbuilding at the back of the property. She'll tell you that some of those dogs had cuts on them. Some of them were fresh and some were old. Some had scars on them. Some had missing ears. But all of those dogs were in bad condition. Now also during her investigation, Chris Jensen will tell you that she found a pet cemetery on the property of Micah Victor this pet cemetery. You'll have a chance to see for yourself the dozens of crosses that mark the bodies of dead dogs on this property. And as you listen to the evidence, I ask you to take note of some of the names that you see on these crosses. Names like Overbite, Kills Her, Furs Flies, and Tooth Fang and Claw. Now Chris Jensen will also tell you that as she did her investigation, she found boxes in the back of the property filled with clothing with the emblem of bad news on it. T-shirts, hats. Bad news is an important name in this case because you will learn that not only is it the name that Micah Victor uses when he bowls in his bowling career, but it is also the name of the dogfighting kennel that he runs at 444 Furdown Lane. The same dogfighting kennel that his cousin Rodney Acker used for a dogfighting ring that was going on at this property. Now, bowling is important in this case because, as you've heard, the defendant is a professional bowler. And you'll hear testimony today from another witness, Kim Little, who is another professional bowler and a colleague of the defendant, Micah Victor. You're going to hear about Kim Little and that she not only is a professional bowler, but that she engages in dogfighting as well. She runs her own kennel, a kennel called Bat Bites, and she will tell you that she's brought her dogs on many occasions to this property at 444 Furdown Lane. She'll explain to you that when she brings her dogs to this property, that she has her dogs participate in fights there. Fights that also have dogs from the Bad News Kennel. Now, Kim Little will tell you that every time she's on this property, that Rodney Acker is there running these fights. And she'll tell you that Rodney Acker is there running these fights on behalf of his cousin, Micah Victor. 
But Kim Little will also, you'll hear also testimony from Kim Little, that when she confronted the defendant about his involvement in dogfighting, he didn't deny it. He didn't get upset and ask about what was going on at his property. He didn't tell her that he was going to investigate this. No, he said to her, the person that goes after me better take down all the pins with one strike because there won't be any spares. Now finally, you're going to get a chance to read a statement today from Rodney Acker, the defendant's cousin who was running the dogfighting kennel at 444 Furdown Lane. And Mr. Acker's statement will show you that Mr. Acker helped the defendant purchase dogs for the purpose of fighting them. Mr. Acker's statement admits that he ran dogfights at this property, that he transported dogs to other places around the country to involve them in dogfights. And he will also tell you that he and Micah would cull out dogs when they didn't perform well enough in these fights and that that meant that they would kill dogs. And the statement will finally tell you that when the dogs didn't perform well enough in the fights, Micah Victor, the defendant, liked to come up with new and creative ways of killing them, like hanging them by their leashes or drowning them. Now, ladies and gentlemen, at the close of all the evidence today, my co-counsel Patrick Driscoll will come before you and explain why the evidence proves beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant, Micah Victor, is guilty of conspiracy to engage in dogfighting at this property and conspiracy to purchase dogs for the sole purpose of fighting them. Sixty-six dogs. Sixty-six dogs kept warm at night, kept safe in cages, well-fed, and well-cared for. Sixty-six dogs provided for, all because of Micah Victor. My name is Tegan Thibodeau, and along with my co-counsel, Thomas Beauvais, I represent Micah Victor. The state has brought two charges against Micah Victor today charges of engaging and, and conducting dogfights. Now the state has a heavy burden of proof to meet today. The state must prove to you beyond a reasonable doubt that Micah Victor intended to engage with another in the act of conducting a dogfight. However, the state won't be able to show that Micah Victor ever even knew that dogfighting was going on on his property. The state is going to ask you today to draw conclusions where there are none. Today you'll learn about Micah Victor. You'll learn Micah Victor rescued the dogs on this property from animal shelters. He bought them from kennels. He even took strays in off the streets to give them a safe home. He arranged for them all to be brought to this large property right here in Armadillo, and he paid for it all. He even legally incorporated his kennel, all to keep these dogs safe. You'll also learn the Micah Victor doesn't live at this Armadillo address. Micah Victor is a professional bowler. 
Now, when we think about bowling, we might think about Friday night, maybe a beer, hanging out with our friends. But for Micah Victor, it's a sport. It's a career that he is the best at. Micah Victor has won 17 of the last 18 world championships. That means he spends most of his time in the lanes, on the road, or training. Micah Victor is ranked number one in the world professional bowling circuit. So Micah Victor spends his time pursuing his career. So it was all too perfect when his cousin, Rodney Acker, came to him and needed a place to stay, needed a job. Micah Victor took him in and said, sure, stay at my property. And Micah Victor trusted his cousin with the care of this property and the dogs which call this property home. Micah Victor also hired a local veterinarian to take care of these dogs, Dr. Denny Shepard. And you'll hear from Dr. Denny Shepard today. Dr. Shepard will tell you she made weekly visits to the compound. She'll tell you these dogs were kept in cages so they couldn't reach out and touch each other. They couldn't hurt each other. She'll tell you these dogs were allowed to play on a special treadmill. After all, how do you exercise 66 dogs? She'll tell you they were even let out to play if there was adequate supervision. This was a nice day. But as you listen to the testimony of Dr. Shepard, it's important to remember where these dogs came from. These dogs were strays off the street. They were rescued from shelters. They were brought in from abused homes or kennels where they were mistreated. Some came in with injuries. Some even got into scraps. But as you listen to the testimony of Dr. Shepard, she will tell you one thing that's important. She was never concerned that there was dog fighting going on on the property or that these dogs were being mistreated. As the state presents their case, they're going to present statements from two, from two witnesses who will tell you they, they saw dog fighting on this property. Pay attention to what they've gained by testifying. Pay attention to who was involved in the daily operation of this property. And pay attention to what they don't tell you because the state is going to ask you today to connect the dots from their testimony. They're going to ask you to draw conclusions where there are none. <coughs> You're going to see the statement of Rodney Acker, Micah Victor's cousin. Rodney Acker was the one who lived in this house and who was responsible for the care of this property. Rodney Acker told the state's paid investigator, Chris Jensen, that he was the one who purchased the dogs conducted the dog fights and transported the dogs to attend other dog fights. Rodney Acker was an admitted criminal caught red-handed. Rodney Acker is not going to see a day in court. Rodney Acker made a deal with the district attorney's office for less than a page of testimony Ten sentences. Rodney Acker got off scot-free. All he had to do was point the finger at his cousin. Now the state's case is also going to rely on the statement, on a statement from Kim Little, another professional bowler. In fact, Kim Little's ranked number two in the world. She's always coming in right behind Micah Victor. 
Now, Kim Little freely admitted she maintained her own dogfighting kennel. She was caught running that kennel, too, by the state's investigator. Kim Little was also granted immunity. All Kim Little had to do was testify, point the finger at her number one competitor. She gets off scot-free, her number one competitor goes away. As you hear about Rodney Acker and Kim Little, ask yourself, what do two admitted criminals stand to gain from testifying against Micah Victor? Today you are going to hear from Chris Jensen, the state's paid investigator. Chris Jensen will tell you she was paid to investigate the property for dogfighting. She went to the property looking for dogfighting, and she found it. Because Chris Jensen automatically assumed that must be what's going on. So when she saw cages, she thought dogfighting. When she saw space to play, she thought dogfighting. But there's something interesting about Chris Jensen that you should know. Chris Jensen has never seen a dogfight. Chris Jensen never even saw Micah Victor on the property, let alone attend a dogfight. In fact, in the course of her investigation, Chris Jensen never even spoke with Micah Victor, yet she's so confident in her charges against him. The truth is, none of the witnesses that you hear from today will tell you they ever saw Micah Victor attend a dogfight on this property or anywhere else. The state's entire case hinges on testimony of a man who was caught red-handed. At the close of trial today, Judge Manos will instruct you on the law as it applies to this case. The state has a heavy burden to meet, proving to you beyond a reasonable doubt that Micah Victor intended to conduct dogfighting on this property. If after considering all the evidence, there is not an abiding conviction of guilt, one which does not waver, you must find Micah Victor not guilty. During closing, argu- during closing arguments, my co-counsel Thomas Bovey will come before you and he'll walk through the testimony that we're going to hear today. He'll walk through the evidence that we've seen. Today he will submit to you that the only mistake Micah Victor ever made was trusting family. And he'll urge you not to do the same. Does the state have a witness? Yes, Your Honor. The state calls Micah. Excuse me. The state calls Christian. Ms. Jensen, would you please introduce yourself to the jury? My name is Chris Jensen. Ms. Jensen, do you work? Yes, I do. What do you currently do for work? I am a licensed peace officer, and I am also an investigator working for the district attorney's office. What type of training did you receive to become an investigator for the DA's office? I went to the police academy, and I also worked for a private investigation firm. How did you do when you went to the police academy? I graduated in the top 90% of my class. 
How long have you been an investigator? Around four years. I want to draw your attention to the case here today. Do you know Micah Victor? Yes, I do. How do you know him? I know him from bowling, and I also know him from dog Did you have the opportunity to go out to his property at 444 Fordham Lane? Yes, I did. Why were you investigating that property? I heard complaints um, from neighbors. Objection, Your Honor. Grounds. Hearsay. Your Honor, may we approach? Yes, you may. Your Honor, assuming we're outside the, te- uh, the presence of the jury, if allowed to testify, this witness will say that she received complaints from neighbors about sounds of dogs yelping and howling, and it was at the those complaints that she began her investigation. This is not being used to prove the truth of the matter asserted, Your Honor, but rather to go to the defendant's state of mind um, and the effect on the listener of those statements. Overruled. Ms. Jensen, if you could please repeat, um, why did you go out to investigate the defendant's compound? Well, I heard complaints from neighbors that there were dogs yelping and howling from Michael Victor's property. In the course of your time as an investigator, have you ever investigated dog fighting before? No, this was the first time. What types of things did you do to prepare for that type of an investigation? I conducted heavy research on the internet. Why did you conduct research on the internet specifically? You can't really go to the library and investigate dog fighting, so that was my only option. After completing your research about dog fighting, what types of things were you looking for when you went out to do your investigation? I learned about cages being kept very close together, and I also learned about modified exercise equipment. How did you actually begin your investigation of the defendant's compound? I infiltrated the compound. And when you say you infiltrated, what do you mean by that? I just went to the property. Um, I investigated um, each of the buildings that we had. What were you wearing when you went to the compound? I was wearing a T-shirt and a hat of the Bad News Kennel. What is the Bad News Kennel? It's the kennel run um, by Michael Victor. Was there any other significance to the clothing that you were wearing? Uh, I wore it just so I would disguise among the dogfighters. Did you find evidence of dogfighting at the defendant's property? Yes. What specifically did you find? I found 66 dogs kept in cages, kept very close together. I also found modified exercise equipment, including a treadmill that was modified. And I also found um, a lot of bad news paraphernalia. Now, I want to ask you first about the dogs. Um, you said that there were 66 of them. How specifically were they kept? They were kept in very poor condition. Some of them had scars. Some of them were missing ears. Overall, very bad shape. And were the dogs running free on the property? No, they were kept in cages. How were these cages set up specifically? Um, they were lined up in a row with very few inches You also mentioned that you found um, a treadmill. What specifically was there about this treadmill that was of interest to you? It was modified for a dog to use. Was that significant to you? Yes. Why is that? Because it was evidence of dog fighting. You also mentioned that you found um, clothing. What specifically did you find? I found um, t-shirts and hats um, with the logo Bad News on them. What did the logo Bad News mean to you? How was bad news spelled on this clothing? News was N-E-W-Z.
Your Honor, may I approach the witness? You may. Counsel Exhibit 2. Objection, Your Honor. I anticipate that the prosecution is now wanting to introduce an email, and I object on the grounds of hearsay. Your Honor, may we lay our foundation first before this is objected to? Yes, but please be cautious about asking the question that the counsel anticipates objecting to. Ms. Jensen, do you recognize what I've just handed you? Yes, I do. What is it? This is an email printout that I found in the barn of the defendant's property. And where did you find it specifically in the barn? On the ground. Is it in the same or substantially the same condition as it was when you last saw it? Yes, it is. Your Honor, we offer this into evidence. Is Exhibit 1? I'd like to renew my objection, Your Honor, on grounds of hearsay. Response? Your Honor, may we approach? You may. Assuming we're outside the presence of the jury, Your Honor, this is an email that was addressed to the email micah at badnews.com. Specifically, the contents of the email show a link to a magazine called the Bullpit Magazine, which is known to be a magazine that dogfighting enthusiasts look at. Your Honor, the specific text of this email are just commands and operative words, so we would argue that this is not hearsay. Objection sustained. This is hearsay. May I retrieve the document? Your Honor, may I approach again? You may. Counsel, Exhibit 1. Ms. Jensen, do you recognize this? Yes, I do. What is it? This is a diagram of the layout of the defendant's property. And is that a fair and accurate representation of the defendant's property as it appeared when you were there? Yes. Your Honor, we would enter this into evidence as Exhibit 1. Any objection? No objection. This will be marked as Trial Exhibit 1. Your Honor, we have prepared an enlargement of this exhibit, which we'd like to use with this witness. Certainly. Your Honor, may I reposition? Of course. And if I may ask counsel to place all of the demonstrative exhibits in a way such that our audience can see them, perhaps deep in the well here facing outward. Certainly. May I ask the witness to step down then so that she can see this? Certainly. Ms. Jensen, for the sake of the jury, can you tell them what we're looking at here? This is a diagram of the layout of the defendant's property. What do the specific shapes on this diagram represent? Well, the front of this is the defendant's home, and in the back is where this whole dogfighting operation took place. Drawing your attention to the bold outlining on the back of the property, what does that represent? That was a high fence that separated the front of the property from the back of the property. How high was this fence? I'd say around 10 feet. Where specifically did you find the 66 dogs on the property? I found them in the outbuilding. Where did you find the treadmill that you had mentioned? Also in the outbuilding. Where did you find the T-shirts and hats with the logo Bad News on them? In the barn. Thank you. You may sit down. Your Honor, 
Ms. Jensen, did you also find a cemetery when you were on the property? Yes, I did. What type of cemetery was this? I found a large pet cemetery in the back of the property. Your Honor, may I approach again? May. Council Exhibit 5. Ms. Jensen, do you recognize this? Yes, I do. What is it? This is the pet cemetery I found on the defendant's property. Is that photograph a fair and accurate representation of the cemetery as it was when you saw it? Your Honor, we offer this as Exhibit 2. No objection. This will be marked as Trial Exhibit 2. Ms. Jensen, if I could have you just hold up uh, the exhibit for the sake of the jury. How many crosses approximately are in that cemetery? It's really hard to say. Dozens. Were these uh, crosses labeled? Yes. What are some of the names on those crosses? Overbite, Tooth, Fang, and Claw, Kills Her. Thank you. May I retrieve the document? You may. May I show it to the jury? Yes, you may. Ms. Jensen, did you have the opportunity to speak with anyone while you were at 444 Furdown Lane? Yes, I did. Who did you speak with? I spoke with the defendant's cousin, Rodney Acker. What was the substance of your conversation with Rodney Acker? I talked about the defendant's involvement with dog fighting. Governor may approach the witness. Counsel, this is Exhibit 9. Ms. Jensen, do you recognize this? Yes, I do. What is it? This is the sworn statement I took of Rodney Acker when I talked to him on that day. Is that statement in the same or substantially the same condition as it was when you last saw him? Yes, it is. Your Honor, we offer this as Exhibit 3. No objection. We'll take this in as Exhibit 3. Thank you, Your Honor. Ms. Jensen, directing your attention to the fourth sentence of that statement, according to Mr. Acker, why was he on the defendant's property at Furdown Lane? He worked for In his statement, Mr. Acker also used the term gaming dogs. According to his statement, what did that term mean? Fighting dogs. And directing your attention to sentences five through eight, beginning with the words, I help, um, according to Mr. Acker, what was his role in the dog fighting operation? He helped Mike set up the compound and conduct dog fights. And he also would help them help Micah kill dogs in various ways. Now, specifically, what were the ways that he helped Micah Victor kill dogs? Um, they would drown the dogs, they would hang the dogs, and they would electrocute them. Your Honor, may I retrieve the document? Ms. Jensen, when you interviewed Rodney Acker, there was a condition to that interview, wasn't there? Yes. In fact, that condition was in order for him to give a statement to you, he was supposed to get immunity. He was granted immunity for his statement. 
And immunity means that he's not going to face any charges regardless of what he admits to you. Isn't that correct? That's correct. And so Mr. Acker is not going to face any charges, is he? Like I said, no. But Mr. Acker did admit to you to engaging in dogfighting? Yes. Now, you mentioned before that you, you graduated in the top 90% of your class, right? Yes. You're a well-trained investigator. That's correct. And for this, you conducted a thorough investigation. That's correct. You collected all the evidence. I'm not sure. You collected all the evidence you could find? Yes. You spoke to all the witnesses that you could? Your Honor, may I approach the witness? You may. Ms. Jensen, I'm handing you the, what's been previously admitted as Exhibit 1. Can you please hold it up so the jury can see? This is the layout, isn't it? Right. Of the defendant's property? Correct. Can you please tell me where on that layout you witnessed the dogfight? Well, could you tell me where on that layout you saw the defendant? I did not see the defendant. Well, uh, Your Honor, may I retrieve the document? Mm -hmm. Ms. Jensen, when did you speak to the defendant about this investigation? Like I said, I did not speak to the defendant. You only spoke to Rodney Acker? And just one more thing. You work for the DA's office, right? Right. No further questions, Your Honor. Any redirect? Ms. Jensen, who owns the property at 444 Ferdown Lane? Mike Victor. Who owns the outbuilding there? Who owns the barn? The defendant, Who owned the 66 dogs that were found on that property? Thank you. No further question. The witness may step down. Does the state have another witness? Um, Your Honor, constructively, we would just uh, have the court take note that we would call Kim Little, and among the other facts that Kim Little would attest to, that Kim Little is a professional bowler, that she went to dogfights on the defendant's property, that um, those dogfights were between um, several kennels, one of which was bad news, bad news spelled with a Z, that the defendant wears a bowling glove on the bowling circuit, uh, and on that bowling glove it says bad news spelled with a Z. Um, for the defense's case, uh, important information that would be elicited is that Kim Little is the number one competitor against Micah Victor. Micah Victor is one better than her on the bowling circuit. Micah Victor is one. Kim Little is two. Kim Little is an do admitted dogfighter and that she has a deal with the district attorney's office where if she testifies here today, she will not be prosecuted for her crimes. Um, and assuming that uh, that evidence came in, Your Honor, uh, we rest. Okay, we will take all of that testimony constructively into the record. Does the defense have a witness? Yes, Your Honor. The defense calls Dr. Denny Shepard. Ms. Shepard, have you been sworn? 
Could you please introduce yourself to the jury? Hi, my name is Betty Shepard. And where do you live? I live in Armadillo. Do you know Micah Victor? I do. How do you know Micah Victor? I work for Micah Victor. I served as his personal trainer and as his veterinarian. You're his personal trainer? I am. And what kind of background do you have to be a personal trainer? What do you do as Micah Victor's personal trainer? Well, bowling is, um, we have a rigorous program, and I work on strength and conditioning. How would you characterize your relationship with Micah Victor? Um, strictly professional, but we are good friends. I've worked for him for a number of years. And you said you also worked as his veterinarian. What types of jobs do you do as his veterinarian? And do you have a license to practice as a veterinarian? I do. What kind of educational background do you have to become a veterinarian? I minored in biology, I majored in biology in college, and then I went to veterinary school afterwards. How long have you been working as a veterinarian for Micah Victor? Seven years. Do you have any other clients? How many dogs does Micah Victor have? Dozens and dozens. How often did you treat these dogs? I was there once a week and on any emergency calls. During these visits, did you treat the same dog each time? Um, no, there were so many dogs. If I did a good job, hopefully I wouldn't have to treat the same dog. What kind of treatment did you provide these dogs when you were there? Cuts and scrapes? Did this concern you? No, they're the normal injuries that dogs would get, especially the kinds of dogs that Micah Victor takes in. What do you mean by kinds of dogs? He gets them from a variety of sources. He gets them from animal shelters, rescue organizations, and from kennels from time to time. How would you describe the general health of these dogs that you treat? Once they made it into our treatment, they were in good health. Besides hiring you, did Micah Victor make any other arrangements for these dogs? He made sure that they were kept in a building all to themselves. They were each in a cage by themselves so they couldn't harm one another. He made sure that they were taken care of in general. Was there anything specific on the property that Micah Victor purchased for the care of these dogs? He did. He made sure that they were exercised. So there was a treadmill that was specially modified for the dogs to use. And there was also a small area where the dogs were allowed out um, to get exercise as well. Are you familiar with the property at 444 Fur Down Lane? Of course. Your Honor, permission for the witness to step down to use the demonstrative evidence? Yes. Do you recognize this? I do. 
What is this? This is a layout of the property at 444. I'd like to talk about the layout with you. Where were these dogs kept on the property? Um, they were kept in the outbuilding. And you mentioned there were cages. Where were those kept? The cages were kept in the outbuilding as well. Were the dogs ever let out of their cages? They were. This is um, about the area where that small um, fenced-in area was that they were allowed in. Were there any other identifying features of that fenced-in area? There were there was some seating so that the dogs could be supervised while they were playing outside. What do you mean by seating? Um, I mean typical seating that would withstand the weather conditions and everything else. And who used these seats? Um, anyone who was supervising the dogs. I never saw Micah there, but I did see Rodney Acker with some of his friends from time to time. I'd like to draw your attention to this area right here. Do you recognize this? Sure. What is this? This is the pet cemetery where Micah would put all of the dogs who unfortunately passed away. Thank you. You can take your seat. Permission to approach, Ryan? Right. Just using this. Counsel, if I'm asking you to rotate that exhibit perhaps just a little bit more. Good. Do you recognize this? And what is this? This is the pet cemetery that we were just discussing. Okay, now I'm going to be referencing for the audience here some things that I'm going to point out to you. Um, can you identify to us what these red and white things are? Flowers? They're flowers. And what are these white crosses that we're seeing here? And why did Micah put these there? He cared for dogs. Were you concerned about such a large cemetery on the property? No, of course not. He had a very large number of dogs that he cared for. Ms. Shepard, did you ever see a dog fight at 444 Ferdown Lane? No, of course not. Were you ever concerned that there were dog fights going on on the property? Never once. What do you believe would happen if there were dog fights going on on the property? Well, I would immediately lose my license. Thank you. No further questions. Cross exam. <laughs> Shepard, you work for the defendant? Yes, I do. He pays you for your services? Of course. You help his dogs, you claim? I care for his dogs. And you also help him on the bowling circuit, right? I am his personal trainer. And you've done that for seven years? I have. And over those seven years, your business has increased with the defendant, hasn't it? I'm not sure what you mean. 75% of your business today is from the defendant, isn't that right? 
And when you were in school to be a veterinarian, you learned certain things about the laws pertaining to animal cruelty. Isn't that right? Yes, I did. And if you were associated with anything to do with animal cruelty, you could lose your license. Isn't that right? Perhaps. You're familiar with the defendant's property, right? I am. You know that he keeps his dogs in cages? Yes. Those cages are separated, right? And it's one dog per cage? So they can't hurt each other. Right, because those dogs are aggressive dogs and they can't be let out together. Isn't that right? Sure. Now, on rare occasions, multiple dogs are let out together. Isn't that correct? For exercise. They're let out together to interact, wouldn't you say? Yes. And they interact in a caged area, right? And around that fenced-in area, the seating that you mentioned, Ms. Thibodeau, isn't that right? Yes. That's just not any seating. That's bleacher seating, isn't that right? Sure. Well, bleachers are good for weather, all weather conditions. And they're good to watch dogs, isn't that right? To supervise them. Now, you, you claim that the defendant is on the road a great deal of the time? I'm not sure. That, that he's not at the property? Oh, right. He's on the road for bowling. And you come out to the property once a week to check on the dogs? Yes. Sometimes you come out more, though, isn't that right? Yes. Sometimes you come out for emergencies, right? Yes. For emergency care of the dogs. Yes. And you receive a call for those emergency care of the dogs, right? Well, otherwise I would never go there. And that call is from the defendant, isn't that right? From time to time. Mr. Victor. Your Honor, may I approach the witness? May. Exhibit 6, Counsel. There are lost dogs in the neighborhood, isn't that right? Yes. And you saw this lost dog poster at the defendant's compound, isn't that right? I did. It was all over the neighborhood. And uh, if I could direct your attention to the lower left-hand corner, there's some writing there, isn't it? There is. It's a handwritten note, yes. right? And without talking about what's in that handwritten note, it's addressed to someone, isn't it? That someone is Rade, right? Yes. Rade is a nickname for the defendant's cousin, right? Yes. The defendant's cousin that lives on the property, isn't that right? Yes. And over the course of uh, dealing with the defendant, you've become familiar with his handwriting, right? His signature. Because he writes you checks, right? Right. And that's been going on for seven years, it right? Has. Once a month, he writes a check. Right. And you know his signature. His signature, yes. And that's the defendant's M on his signature at the bottom. You're on, uh, this, is, this is the defendant's signature, isn't it, at the bottom? That is his M. It looks like his M. Your Honor, we offer Exhibit 6 into evidence. Your Honor, I'd object on the grounds of authentication. We have no one here who can authenticate the contents of the entire lost dog poster. We've heard testimony. It, a small portion could be something, um, but I think that the entire contents of the document should be authenticated, um, and uh, alternatively, um, under Rule 403, the counsel's only um, offering this exhibit uh, to prejudice the jury. Response. Your Honor, we have heard testimony from this witness that this is a lost dog poster that she has seen on the defendant's property. We have also heard that there is handwritten portion on the document. Top of the portion is uh, written to a person by the name of Rade, which this witness has uh, testified is the defendant's cousin. This witness has testified of being familiar with the defendant's signature, and that M at the bottom 
is the M that the defendant use on, uh, uses for his signature. Um, taking all this into account with a unique identifier as being Tarade, the defendant's cousin, and her familiarity with the signature, we ask that this document come in as full, as fully authenticated um, and admissible. Objection will be sustained. Now, a moment ago, you spoke a little bit about um, your relationship with the defendant. You work for him? I do. And you, you also like him, don't you? I, I would never work for someone that I didn't think was a good person. And you like him romantically, isn't that right? No, that's not right. The defendant gave you a valentine last year, didn't he? As a joke, sure. The defendant gave you a valentine, though, didn't he, Dr. Shepard? He did. May I approach the lunch, John? Exhibit H. <coughs> Dr. Shepard, that's the valentine the defendant gave you, isn't that right? It is. And it's the, in the same or substantially the same condition as when the defendant gave you that valentine, isn't that right? Yes. Your Honor, we offer Exhibit 8 into evidence. Your Honor, I would object on... This is hearsay. Response. Your Honor, assuming we're outside the presence of the jury, this is not hearsay. This is a statement by a party opponent, the defendant, to this witness. I see the... Uh... And what testimony do you intend to elicit from the witness regarding this? Your Honor, this goes directly to the credibility of the witness. The defendant and the witness have a relationship which is outside the business relationship, um, and this tends to show that the, this witness would be biased. Okay, I'm going to sustain the objection in part. Uh, I'm going to give an instruction to the jury that they are only to consider this evidence as possibly establishing a relationship between this witness and the defendant. And you may consider that relationship in evaluating the credibility of this witness's testimony. And you are not to draw any other conclusions from this evidence. May I show the uh, document to the jury, Your Honor? You may. <coughs> A moment ago, you talked about lost dog posters in the neighborhood? Yes. Because there's lost dogs in the neighborhood, isn't that right? Apparently. And there was a dog named Furs that you found, isn't that right? There was. One day, you were on the defendant's property and you saw Furs, isn't that right? I did. And you were with another person, isn't that right? Yes. That other person was the defendant, right? Yes. You were near the barn? Yes. And Furs was on the ground, wasn't, wasn't it? Furs was cold. Yes. Furs was dead. Yes. And Furs had a gash ear to ear. Isn't that right? Yes. And the defendant said something, didn't he? He did. He said, looks like all the fight has drained out of that one. Isn't that right? Yes. Pass the witness, Your Honor. Redirect. Shepard, I'd like to talk to you about that dog you found on the property. Was that dog kept in the cages? No. Had you ever treated that dog before? No. And bringing your attention back to the property, who, 
who ran that property? Rodney And who, besides you, who, who was in charge of the care of those dogs? Rodney Thank you. No further questions. Witness may step down. Does the defense have any further witness? No, Your Honor. Your Honor, I assume we're proceeding to closing arguments. We are. Your Honor, may I reserve two minutes for a rebuttal? You may. Sixty-six dogs were found on the defendant's property. Some of those dogs had cuts. Some of those dogs had scars. Some of those dogs were missing ears. The state has brought two charges against the defendant, Micah Victor. Both of those charges involve conspiracy to engage in dog fighting. All the evidence we've heard here today proves the defendant, Micah Victor, is guilty of those charges. Let's talk about some of that evidence. We've heard about the defendant's property, that he's got an area behind a big fence. He's got an outbuilding. That outbuilding had those 66 dogs that the defendant says come from the streets and are aggressive, tough dogs. It's important how those cages were set up. One cage per dog those street dogs so that they could see each other, but when they reached out through the cages, they couldn't touch each other, getting more aggressive, getting more agitated. Then on special occasions, we heard that a few dogs got to come outside, come outside into a caged area. There's bleachers surrounding that caged area. Denny Shepard told you that those dogs interact. We know what interact means because we heard Kim Little. Kim Little told you that she brings dogs from her dog fighting kennel and fights them at the defendant's property. And when she fights those dogs at the defendant's property, she always fights against one kennel. That kennel is called Bad News. Bad News spelled with a Z. When Kim Little's not fighting dogs and she's on the bowling circuit, she sees Micah Victor. And every single time Micah Victor bowls, he wears something on his left hand. Kim Little told you that that's a bowling glove. On that bowling glove, it says one thing, bad news. Bad news spelled with a Z. We've seen the defendant's cemetery where he buries his dogs. It's not five graves here. It's not ten. There's dozens and dozens of graves of dead dogs. And he marks the graves, too. See overbite, furs flies. It's not a fluffy there. It's not a Fido. Because those aren't names for fighting dogs. But there is a kills her. What 
what, what else have we heard here today? We've heard of the link between the defendant and what went on at this property. Yet his cousin Rodney Acker lived there and worked there. We've heard communication between Rodney Acker and the defendant, placing bets for Mike and Victor at the property while dogfights go on. We've seen the statement by Rodney Acker that details the agreement that they had together and they fought dogs at that property. We've heard about furs, a dog that Denny Shepard told you that she, that she and the defendant found on the defendant's property. Furs was a stray dog from the street, just like the ones that the defendant takes in. They found furs on the ground, cold, dead, lifeless. Furs had a cut in its throat from ear to ear. What did the defendant say? Looks like all the fight has drained out of that one. In a moment, Judge Manos will instruct you on the law. And when you go back into the jury room and you consider all of the facts, everything that you've presented, think about those 66 dogs that Investigator Jensen told you about. Some with cuts, some with scars, some dogs missing ears. Hold the defendant accountable for his actions. Ladies and gentlemen, at the beginning of this trial, Ms. Thibodeau told you to pay attention to all the evidence. Not just what you hear, not just what the prosecution tells you, but listen to what you don't hear as well. Pay attention to what they don't tell you. And now you know why. Because Mr. Driscoll has just asked you to find beyond a reasonable doubt that Micah Victor committed this crime that Micah Victor intended for dog fights to take place on his property. And can you really find that beyond a reasonable doubt? I don't think so. Let's look at the evidence. First you heard from Chris Jensen, Inspector Jensen. Solid public servant, right? Well, a little more than solid. In fact, he does such a good job at testifying for the DA that they gave him a job with their office. And Inspector Jensen, he manages to find the crime everywhere he goes. He goes looking for crimes, whether or not they're there. When Inspector Jensen got that phone call from the neighbors that they heard barking dogs and people shouting, what did he think? Dogfighting. Nothing else, dogfighting. Immediately afterwards, he went and researched only dogfighting. And he went and bought a cap, and he went and bought a shirt, all for dogfighting. Nothing else. Mr. Jensen, or Miss Jensen, actually, was looking for dogfights. And so when she infiltrated that property, undercover, everything she saw 
would automatically point to dogfighting. She didn't think, Mr. Jensen, right, that Micah Victor rescues these dogs, that Micah Victor has 66 dogs so he can get these dogs off the streets. He didn't think, as Ms. Shepard told you, that rescued dogs would have cuts, would have bite marks, would have scratches. He only thought dogfighting. Now, one of the things you didn't hear was that when Inspector Jensen ran his undercover operation at 444 Ferdown Lane, when he was dressed up in dogfighting apparel, he didn't once witness a dogfight. He didn't once see the defendant. And with his thorough investigation, he never once spoke to Michael Victor. He did speak to somebody, though. He hit the jackpot with who he spoke to. He spoke to Rodney Acker, Michael Victor's cousin. Michael Victor gave Rodney Acker a home, gave him a job. But that wasn't enough for Rodney Acker. No, Rodney Acker wanted more. You've heard that Micah Victor has two loves in life, bowling and rescuing dogs. And his bowling career keeps him away from that house. Micah Victor doesn't live at 444 Ferdown Lane, and Micah Victor is rarely there. But Rodney Acker is. And Micah Victor loves rescuing dogs. He hired a veterinarian to visit once a week. How many people do you know take their dogs to visit the vet once a week. But Micah Victor did this for his dogs because he was never going to be there and he wanted to make sure they were taken care of. And Rodney Acker took advantage of this. Rodney Acker set up dog fights using Micah Victor's dogs. Micah Victor had no idea this was going on and he couldn't possibly intend for it. Denny Shepard didn't suspect dogfighting because it was typical for these dogs to have scrapes, to have cuts, to have bite marks. So there was no way for Micah Victor to know that this was going on. But Rodney Acker decided to take these dogs and engage them in dogfighting and take advantage of Micah Victor's trust. And when Chris Jensen interviewed Rodney Acker, he got exactly what he wanted. He got a big fish. He got a big name that he could take down. And regardless of what the evidence showed, that's what he was going to do. And the only other person that you have to hear from today is Kim Little. Kim Little also admitted to conducting dogfights, to engaging in dogfights. Kim Little also happens to be the second best bowler in the world. Who's number one? That's right, Micah Victor. Micah Victor's the number one bowler in the world. And who would become number one if Micah Victor was convicted today? That's right, Kim Little. Who didn't you hear from today? You didn't hear from Rodney Acker. Rodney Acker never took the stand. Rodney Acker will never take the stand because he got a get-out-of-jail-free card. He gave a statement for immunity. 
And what a statement. This is Ron Yacker's statement. Half a page. Half a page, and he got off scot-free. He admitted to conducting dogfights for half a page of testimony. He won't take the stand. You won't see Mr. Driscoll. You won't see Ms. Sherwood stand in front of a jury just like yourselves and hold Rodney Acker accountable for his actions, all for half a page. Micah Victor rescued dogs. Micah Victor did not fight dogs. Micah Victor never intended his dog to be fought. He kept them in cages to keep them safe. He hired a veterinarian to keep them healthy. The only mistake Micah Victor made was trusting Rodney Acker, his cousin. The prosecution is also making that same mistake. Please don't follow in suit. Vove just spoke to you a little bit about the defendant not being at the property when Chris Jensen was there, the defendant not being at the property when Kim Little was at dogfights. As the judge is going to instruct you, these are conspiracy charges. And as Ms. Sherwood told you at the beginning, conspiracy is an agreement between two or more people to commit a crime. And only one person has to act. The agreement was between the defendant and his cousin Rodney Acker. It was Rodney Acker that acted. You go back in the jury room, I just want you to think of one thing. That's what Mr. Beauvais just told you. Who has a vet come out once a week to look after dogs? Someone that dog fights. That's who. If there's nothing further, this matter will be submitted to the jury, and we are in recess. All rise. So you didn't find Acker's statement enough? It's a, these, uh, this is a problem that was used in the uh, national trial competition uh, here in New England uh, this, uh, uh, this past month. 
and uh, they build the problems so they are balanced. Uh, and uh, uh, particularly in a criminal case, a balanced problem doesn't work out terribly well for the prosecution uh, because you, you need it to, to prove it before, uh, beyond a reasonable doubt. And what happens in these competitions is there'll be two teams of advocates, or there'll be uh, in each trial, but in the next round, as they advance, they switch. So they argue one side in, in, in the first trial, and then the next trial, they argue the other side. And the trial after that, they argue the first side again, and they keep going until they either eliminated or they're won, they've won. Uh, it is the success that we enjoy in mock trial is indicative of some of the experiences that you can enjoy here at Suffolk. Uh, we have a very robust moot court program inside the school. There are uh, student trial competitions for the second, uh, second year day and third year uh, evening students, as well as the third year day and fourth year evening students. Uh, and uh, the uh, competitions that Dean Ellis uh, referred to uh, where we uh, compete interscholastically, uh, either as appellate teams or trial teams. And uh, I think the difference between getting involved in these activities or going for an educational uh, experience that uh, is absent these activities is very much like the difference between learning to swim in a lecture and learning to swim in a pool. Uh, and uh, here at Suffolk, you can do both. You can learn to swim in a lecture and get into the pool. And uh, uh, coming to Suffolk Law was one of the finest decisions that I ever made. And uh, that's why they have trouble with it. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I, I just want to uh, uh, point out uh, uh, the uh, efforts of the advocates in the room. Chris, 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 our judge. Chris is uh, a member of our trial team as well. In fact, they're all members of the trial team. One person I want to point out individu uh, individually is Pat Driscoll, who won the Best Advocate Award in New England uh, in this year's trial competition. Questions of the, the advocates or, or, or uh, any questions that I might answer for you? Any at all? I'm just stunned with, with, with my brilliance? I understand that. No, truly. How much time do you spend preparing for the, the competitions? And does it ever come at the expense of other pursuits? Oh, Pat, go ahead. How much time did you prepare? I go to night school here, so I work during the day. I have school at night, and I have this on top of it. So, but this, by far and away, is the most fun I've ever had in law school. It's not even compared. It's it's fun, and I wouldn't even say it's work because you're learning, and you, every single day you learn. And most of the time, it's trial and error. So I, I fail every single Sunday when we practice, but I get a little bit better. And I huge difference because I'm in, the, in a clinical program with the defenders and I see new lawyers standing up in court for the very first time. They've never done it before and they're terrible. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. But doing this in a, in a contained setting so you're up on your feet, practicing all the time, you're used to it, you are that much better when you actually have to represent a real person. And in real life, it, it can get scary because that person's freedom is on the line. And I felt so much more prepared 
because I did this. And I, I didn't just jump in after hearing a lecture about representing someone. I actually did it. And it, it, it was invaluable. I, I second what last week and I cross-examined a police officer who was out to get me and I, and I handled it because I had done four or five cross-examinations a week for two years. So I was ready for him, you know, and it, it really helped. He's downstairs, by the <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions? It's not long before the uh, the way you think is going to change dramatically. Uh, 
And I heard that as a, uh, a person who was coming into law school, and I didn't get what that meant until two, three months into law school, um, someone passed me that I knew and said, have a good day, and I thought, is that an offer? Does that create in me the power of acceptance? <laughs> I accept that offer. Does he have a duty to make sure that I have a good day? <laughs> and if I don't have a good day, is that actionable? Am I okay? We'll take that. We'll take that away as a law student. And uh, it's a little frightening at first, truly, um, but it's exciting. I mean, you, you, I, I, I wish I could be you again, because what, what a door is opening for you. Not just this opportunity, the, the trial teams and the appellate competitions, uh, but just a whole new way of, of, of looking at things. And this is just, this, this has to be exciting for you. Uh, the first year will, excuse me, you know, suck. <laughs> just be, yeah, <laughs> just be really, really tough. But after that, after you survive, and you're going to survive the first year, um, then it, it, it truly gets uh, amazing. Um, and uh, so I, I, I'm just overwhelmed for you. I think this is this is a, a very, very exciting time. program and our reception they're setting up downstairs so um, I encourage you to ask any questions or make any comments observations um, things that you've been here for a little while now things that have uh, raised questions in your mind concerns Anyone? oh don't make me talk for the next 20 minutes um, I will oh yes thank you so much Uh, 
as an undergraduate. I bet many of you are as well. Um, and it came, I'm not going to say easy, but it, it, it came with uh, a moderate amount of effort. That ceased to be true here. Um, you know, I was in a room with these students, so you know, that became a C. And that was frightening. It truly was. The idea that the, the, the level had been raised simply by associating with another group of A students. Uh, and uh, that's, there's truth to that. Uh, the same effort that you put in to get an A as an undergraduate will not bring you one here. Uh, the same amount of, of uh, attention to the reading, the same amount of attendance of lectures will not produce that result here. Uh, if, uh, if you uh, want to pass their classes, I, I recommend that because they're expensive things not to pass. Um, you need to go to the classes, you need to do the reading, you need to do the reading in advance of the classes. And so you have to manage your time and you need to get it done. And it is a frightful amount of reading. I mean, it really is a frightful mm -hmm. amount of reading. Um, and the books are heavy. I mean, I, I wanted a Sherpa, but they wouldn't hardly. <laughs> uh, it, it's serious. It is, it is a different level of effort and a much different level of payoff. <clears throat> I think any law student that you talk to, and I, I know I went to law school 20 years ago, and my own experience was I was a non-traditional student, uh, had been a social worker working with abused children for a number of years, felt that a law degree would help me to do so much more for these kids. Uh, so going to law school was exciting, thinking about it, being accepted was very exciting, as I'm sure you've all felt when you, got your, when you get your acceptance letters. Um, then first, as, as school approached, I started getting a little uh, anxious about, uh, am I really going to be able to do this? And at Paul, I was a really good student in college, had a really good GPA, and I'm thinking, well, I'll just be okay in law school. And, uh, it was a very different kind of experience. Um, a lot of reading, a lot of writing, a lot of research. Back in those days, we didn't have LexisNexis and Westlaw, so you really had to go to the books, which I love, but a lot of people didn't. But it was a um, wonderful experience. Um, and I will say that everything that the students have told you, it is a lot of work. It's a lot of reading. It's a lot of concentration. It's very intense. But I will also tell you that I still have friends in my life that I met in the first day of law school who remain my friends, probably will be forever. Um, you're in a wonderful community of students here. Um, there are a lot of resources for you within the law school and faculty and the administration. If we admit you to this law school, we feel that you will succeed in this law school. The burden really is on you. However, we will help you and provide you with the tools, the education, and the knowledge that, that you'll need um, to be effective advocates. And I'm always so proud. I love this part of our, of our new student program because it gives me an opportunity to see the next group of student lawyers putting on this mock trial. And I'm always blown away by the lack, uh, by the, <laughs> lack at all, by the amount of professionalism. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, really, Ryan. Long day, long day. <laughs> Just the opposite. These students um, came to this law school. I can still remember reading some of their files and their, some of their life journeys to this, to the, the path of law, brought them to our door, um, and have worked so hard um, to get here, uh, have worked hard uh, not to stay here, but to be here, and to be in, involved in as many activities as they are. I mean, I see students at, at 
trial teams, they're here for our student organizations, they're here for different events, they're here, uh, not just sitting in a class and learning the law and, and absorbing it all, but they are taking advantage of the incredible experience that law students have at this law school. Um, and so, as um, Ms. Bobado told you, sitting out in the, in the gallery last year, watching our students do exactly what they did this year, um, I hope that you're thinking to yourself that, wow, I think uh, that would be something I really enjoy doing and I can see myself doing that, not only at Suffolk Law School, but also in practice. Um, this is the learning laboratory at Suffolk. Uh, this is where you really uh, learn the tools, uh, the nuts and bolts of lawyering. Um, it's, as you've heard from students, it's been fun for them, it's a lot of work, but if, if you're serious about being a good lawyer, about having good lawyering skills, then if you want to, uh, wherever you go to law school, and hopefully you'll come here, really take advantage of the programs that we have and the type of skills building courses that we have. You heard from our uh, clinical per, uh, directors, our Rappaport uh, directors, and pro bono programs, and internship directors. So you can see the many ways in which students can uh, hone their skills and uh, take on uh, events and, and opportunities like this. So I applaud our students. Uh, they're incredible. Uh, what can I tell you? It makes me feel good that I've done a good job of bringing good students to this law school. And also to thank Paul, who's, uh, we will never let him leave Suffolk. Uh, we let him practice. That's okay, but he can't go too far from the law and really appreciate all that he has done for our students uh, as far as mentoring and supporting them in, in their efforts. So, uh, let's see. Um, well, you can either sit here for a little while, uh, talk to our students. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you were a lawyer, you would say these witnesses have all been non-responsive. If you ask them a very specific question, and they give very good general answers. But I'm going to give you some actual specific advice that I would find to be I've been here three years, so maybe I'll just speak to some part of it. In your class, you're going to learn the law. And if you do, you know the learning the law, you get pretty good grades. But if you really want to get good grades, you're going to learn not the law, you're going to learn how to apply the law. Because that's actually what you're going to test on. Your lecture is going to be all about the law. And then your exam is going to be all about how do you apply that law to a set of facts. So my specific advice is learn the law, but practice by applying the law. Just make up situations. Paul did it walking across the room. He says, when someone says, have a good day, and it doesn't make sense to you now, but after you go to contracts, you'll completely understand what you're doing. That's an application of contract law to a set of facts. And that's why Paul is such a good lawyer, is because he applies, he can apply the law to any set of facts. So just my tip is to get into your study groups and start preparing for exams. Don't stop by learning the rules. Stop going
going off of what he just said, if you plan to practice in Boston after law school, it's a very small legal community. So the people in your classes are the people that you're going to be working with. So it's important to make connections now. So you've got a great job. Okay, well, we're going to go. Oh, sorry. You mentioned that there are several different offices here to help. I was just wondering if any of the current students have made use of particular offices that you would say don't wait until you're, you know, a certain amount through your career, but like towards the beginning, go in and talk with them so that you're more familiar. Are there any particular offices that you think are really um, just wonderful resources that you recommend for us? I can think of two. Uh, one is uh, the Career Development Office. Um, that's a, that, that is an organization and a function that I would get to know early in your career, uh, assuming that uh, you're here to practice afterwards. Um, you know, they're, they're a very solid group of people with uh, long contacts into the legal uh, community, and getting to know how they can help you uh, as early as possible is a very good idea. Uh, and the second one is academic support. I thought I was a good writer uh, before I came uh, to Suffolk. I was immediately disabused of that notion. <laughs> and uh, uh, the academic support uh, resources here uh, helped me with that. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, one of the interesting parts of being a successful student and undergraduate is you, you can come up with the idea that that is a, either a sign of weakness or, or a sign of failure to reach out to support organizations. Um, People who need it and don't, that's a sign of stupidity. I mean, you know, if these things uh, are available to you, and they are available to you, when you need help, go get it. And those doors are open, they are glad to see you. Uh, and uh, you know, as soon as I dealt with whatever issues I had, I was able to benefit from those organizations uh, tremendously. If you have a problem with writing, if you have a problem with test taking, if you have a problem with uh, outlining or digesting the material, these support systems exist and they're good. The only thing they have to do is walk through the door. I would also just say, I wasn't someone that used to go and see my professors in undergrad. I was always kind of intimidated by that. And I would also really suggest going and taking the time to meet with your professors here, especially if it's in a class or something that you want to do and you're interested in. My first year, I went to my criminal law professor and said, this is what I want to do three years from now when I graduate. And you know, what can you tell me? And as it turned out, he had a former student who was a prosecutor at the UN War Crimes Tribunal. And through him, I got an internship there last summer. And that was all based on October of my very first year, going in and meeting with him and saying, you know, what can you tell me? I don't really know how to go about getting internships or what to do with this. And I mean, he's been a mentor to me since the very beginning of law school. So, I don't know, that's one big thing that I would say, again, it's just because I never really did that in undergrad. I think, in my experience, So from here, we're going to go downstairs to the Great Hall on the first floor and um, have um, join others in our reception. Um, so we hope that you have a chance again to meet one another, have a chance to talk in a more social setting.
we'll have faculty and other students that will be there for you as well. Again, thank you so much to our students, to our bailiff, to our judge.